you start off this one. Say something stupid. Well, I get, well um, the, that's this is how I start things. I just make a stupid. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking? I am drinking a wine from Wink that I like this time. It's a red wine. What is it? What kind? It's a red blend. It's a French one too. Ooh. There's our through line. French shit. Chapter three, season three, whatever this is. French shit, season three. It, it's called Atelier de Sud, which means Southern Workshop. Very nice. I love red blends. Yeah. Lately, I've been more into blends. I look at us trying to sound fancy. We're so fancy with our red blends. That's right. I'm drinking sangria from Costco. That sounds accurate it's for you. It's so good. <laughs> Guys, if you have a Costco membership, don't forget the $7 bottle of sangria. It's giant and delicious. <laughs> And if you don't have a Costco membership, but you would like to join a wine club, hit me up and I will give you my wink code and we'll both get two free bottles of wine. Hells yes. And actually, I am very, very pleased with wink. There have been several. This episode is not sponsored. Our episodes are never sponsored. We have never had an advertiser on here. Bitches. And when I say bitches, I'm talking all to all you advertisers. Get at us because we will promote the shit out of your shit. That's right. Especially if you're wine <laughs> and snacks. It's or Target. Yes, or Target. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry guys, so, this is an even episode. But yeah, come on, Bolden Brand Keats. Come on, Squatty Potty. Come on, Nectar Mattress, Casper Mattress, whatever. <laughs> come on, that fancy fucking toothbrush. Come on, that patio furniture commercial I was here on my favorite murder. We have got voices. We can talk, sort of. Yeah. Let us promote you and give us free samples, please. Thank you. Basic snitches at gmail.com. This is Episode 51, <laughs> Chapter 12. Of Basic Snitches. <laughs> of Basic Snitches, the podcast featuring Tara and Adam. And this is the Patronus. We just finished Chapter 11, which was the Firebolt. And I have Winner and Loser to hand out. It's a rough chapter. <sighs> so the winner is Crookshanks. Because he know a bitch. Interesting. Gets He's getting ready to chomp some head off. No. That's, that's, that's weird. <laughs> that's what Tara did last night. What the fuck? She invited somebody over and chomped his head <laughs> off of his dick. Tara, that's bad. You should be waiting until we're not quarantined before you invite somebody over and bite their dick off. Hey, sponsors, come on. Let us advertise <laughs> Anyways, who, who lost? <laughs> who lost the chapter? I'm trying to make jokes and they're not landing. I love it. Who's the loser of the chapter? Who do you think it is? It's Hermione, Ron, or McGonagall. It's Ron. It's Ron. Interesting. Tell me. Um, more. I wanted to like give him a slide because he made Hagrid tea. And I was like, that's my guy. Good job. That's very good. But he jumps on Hermione immediately, which is scary. But also, he's not fucking listening or reading the room when Hagrid's like, Harry, read this really sad letter. And then Harry reads the letter and Ron interrupts and he's like, yeah, that's fine. And I'm like, no, Ron, read the room. So I had to give someone a loss and it just was Ron. Yeah, I know I had words about Hermione in the last chapter, but Ron didn't have a very good chapter either. So yeah, I understand. It that. was a hard decision. The winner was also a hard decision, but I ultimately was like, you know what? Crookshanks. He gonna shank that fucking rat. Oh, very nice. Mm -hmm. You ready to read my thing? <laughs> I'm gonna read the thing. Hold on, I gotta open it back up. No. Take all the time you need, honey. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to you, computer, you piece of shit. There it is, got it. 
Ready? You're like, yeah. I've been ready for 10 I'm, minutes, you bitch. I've been ready. Exactly. I'm sorry, my computer is a piece of shit. Okay. Chapter 12, The Patronus. Harry and Ron are still angry at Hermione for trying to protect him and getting his broom checked. And when everyone comes back from holiday break, Ron opens his big mouth and says that Harry got the broom. Harry's friends need to mind their business and keep his boundaries. And since there are a lot of people speaking for Harry, and that is rude. Oliver makes some good points, stating how would Sirius be able to get a broom and offers to talk to McGuff for him. Classes resume and Harry's Patronus lessons begin. Lupin found a boggart in Filch's filing cabinet, which is also what Snape calls his butt, for them to use during this lesson. Lupin explains that a Patronus charm is an embodiment of happiness and good memories, thus it is a good weapon against a Dementor. Harry starts thinking of good memories, and among them, for some reason, pulling up Aunt Marge is not included. Regardless, he tries three times and gets a bit better each time, despite hearing his parents' screams more the first two. But he doesn't give up. Harry is a strong beast. When he tells Lupin he hurt his father that time, Lupin reveals that he did know James when they went to school. The third time, Harry does sort of produce a bit of a Patronus, which is hella cool for someone who just started and that young. You go, Harry. After that, Lupin says that was enough for one day, gives Harry some fancy Honeydukes chocolate. Harry also asks if Lupin knew Sirius Black since he knew his father, and Lupin admits that he did, or he thought he did. On the way out of the classroom, Harry takes a deep breath and tells himself that his parents are dead, and letting these memories give him the opportunity to hear their voices isn't worth it. Harry is a Quinn. Harry's schedule becomes more and more filled with Quidditch and Patronus lessons, but not as much as Hermione's as she is dealing with the entire Hogwarts curriculum. Oliver lets Harry know that he wasn't successful in getting his broom back from Mugga. After the next lesson, Lupin gives Harry butterbeer. Lupin is also Quinn. This is also when he tells Harry about the Dementor's kiss, which sounds pretty sexy. I wish one of those sheets with teeth would make out with me, but alas, just like everything else except for Tara, they won't kiss me because I had my soul removed back in 02. Lupin says that Sirius is likely to get the Dementor's kiss if he gets caught. Aw, jealous. McGough returns the fireball to Harry and announces that it is Jinx and Hex-free. McGough is Quinn! Many Quinns this episode. Many Quinns. Upon reaching the common room, Neville lost all his passwords. Yeah, he does what any boomer does and what you're exactly told not to do, and that's write down your password. Everyone passes around Harry's broomstick, just like everyone does to Madame Rosemurda at the Hogshead every night. Harry decides that he should apologize to Hermione, as a Quen should, and he lets Ron take the broom upstairs. But then Ron comes back screaming because he found blood on his sheets. Aw, Ron just got his first period. Nah, just kidding. Crookshanks finally killed his fucking rat. Yeah, go Crookshanks. Another Quen, 10 points to Crookshanks. Woo! You predicted that with your winner. <laughs> That was it. I'm really glad that I charged my Kindle because I never do. And I did. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I'm really glad I charged my Kindle because I had to read your fucking dissertation <laughs> on it. And it took me double the time it took me to get my computer working. <laughs> you're like, the way I'm editing this, obviously you're not going to listen to all the time of Tara trying to get her computer working. But I'm sitting here like twiddling my thumbs. Like, come on. Yeah, I'm sorry. We got, we got it. It's a piece of shit. Yes. Speaking of really, really shitty, this chapter opens up with something that I discussed in the last episode, and that is people speaking for Harry. Harry can handle it. Harry has done some pretty amazing things. Why are people speaking for Harry? Ron! 
everyone is coming back from Christmas and everyone is talking about their gifts and stuff. And Harry is like, I don't want a part of this. I would just rather not talk about it. And then when Oliver comes up and is like, hey, have you ordered a broom yet? Ron butts the fuck in is like, Ron got a broom for Christmas. Right. Bitch, that is not your thing to tell. For real. And later on, I have another note about this later in this chapter. I'm going to bring it up now. It's not your broom, Ron. You like, you need to like take a step back and like calm the fuck down. Like, I would almost be a little bit irritated if I were Harry. Harry's not because he is a patient Quinn. And I'm an impatient Gwen. So yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I don't like it. I've noticed a lot more these last few chapters. Here's the thing. Like we talk a lot about how these are kids, but now it's the kids who are like speaking for Harry too. Based on what he's done in the past two years, while everyone is trying to protect him, Harry can also protect himself. I have confidence in Harry. Is that... Is that a, when I was saying that, I was thinking about that song. I, I music knew that's that, what was going through your brain. I could feel that. I was like, yeah, oh, when, you sound she, of music she, on me. Maria's dancing on the street <laughs> with that giant guitar case. When I was in bus stop, I had to play the guitar in that. And so I brought a guitar to and from rehearsal. And our friend Mary Beth always said that I looked like Maria. For <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was There's hilarious. nothing I want so more in the world than to see you play Maria in Sound of Music. Well, thank you. Maybe one day we'll all be lucky enough to see that. I'll make you a dress out of your curtains. Yes. And then the curtains will match the drapes. Just get the fuck out. That's my main thing there, like at the opening of the, the chapter. But then Oliver also makes a really good point. Something along the lines of, you know what? I'm going to go handle it. Let me talk to McGonagall. I got your back, Harry. After all, how is Sirius Black getting this broom when he's in hiding? Like, he's not going to go to quality Quidditch supplies and not be unnoticed. And I liked that. I was like... Someone using logic. I thought about yeah. That. yeah. Oliver is getting, like, major points with me this book. I feel like every time he comes in, he has some advice or something. I really appreciate that. Making the most out of his last year at Hogwarts. And then they start class. There is a moment here with divination <laughs> that I have a big fucking problem with. <laughs> Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> and it's very small. I did not expect to like be calling out Trelawney that much, but Trelawney girl, you're doing palmistry wrong. <laughs> Crystal gazing, not something I know super much about. I know properties of crystals. Tarot, you know I'm a tarot beach. I don't know anything about tea leaves. Palmistry is the first thing I learned. In college, I took like a research methods class for the honors program, and we could pick any topic that we absolutely wanted. And we had to write about a 20-page paper about how we were going to write our 50-page paper on that topic. So 70 pages of writing. Some people chose weird things. One person chose shoes, and I was like, that's boring as fuck. So I was like, I want to do something a little bit out there and kind of crazy. So I chose palmistry and there's a line in this book where Trelawney says something about Harry having the shortest lifeline that she's ever seen in her life. Trelawney, this is palmistry 101. A short lifeline does not mean a short life. A lot of times it has to do with quality. Your hands change all the time throughout your life. Harry's still very young. That is not just bad teaching. It's wrong teaching. (laughs) I need to call you out, Trelawney, because I love you, but get your shit together. Which one is your lifeline? At the very top. um, By the way, if you're listening to this podcast while driving, don't look at your hands right now. Um, (laughs) But your headline is so like right below where your knuckles are on your forehead. Yeah, that's your headline. Um, And then your lifeline is kind of like below that usually. It starts like between your thumb and your pointer finger and usually curves down to the center of the bottom of your hand. Is it this? Uh, Yes, you have a very straight lifeline. (laughs) Well, that doesn't sound like me. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then there's also your heart line in there and your fate line. And not everybody has a fate line. I think you have a fate line, but it's like diagonal there. And usually it goes straight up. So I think that means that your fate is off on the wrong course, girl. (laughs) Everything makes sense. I got to admit, I'm a little bit rusty because every part of your hands has something to do with palmistry. The sections of your hands can be like a map and like there's mounts on your hands. There's something to be said about the sections of your finger, the shapes of your fingers and your fingertips, the shapes of your nails. There's something about every single little piece in there. But just like I said with tarot and I imagine with tea leaves, like there is a way to look at it and try to spin it in a positive way. And that's what you always want to do. I should tell this to myself more often because I never follow my own advice, but everything isn't always doom and gloom. Things are going to be cyclical. Things are going to get bad, but then they're going to get better. And I feel like Trani is failing at that continually. She's concerned only about death. Well, that's our Trelawney. I would almost like to see like a deleted scene from the book. JK writes about Trelawney doing tarot cards and someone picks the death card because the death card don't mean death, honey. Death means like an ending and sometimes that can be a very positive thing i mean something is ending and a new door or a new chapter is opening you know that's fascinating i have had my tarot read a few times that's my little divination i love it but i don't appreciate trelawney not knowing her shit (laughs) then we get into uh harry's first patronus lesson but first we have to have hermione do the isn't it obvious what's wrong with lupin ron being like she doesn't know like he is so sassy okay it comes from his animosity of her mentioning the broom oh yeah absolutely like he's gonna lord that over her as long as he can because he's a little bitch in any other world he wouldn't have been sassy like that and he is constantly emotional based on things that are in his surroundings so ron rubs me the wrong way in this chapter hermione rubbed me in the wrong way the last chapter now it's ron's turn i think they're both being really annoying she's just like you're right obvious and i'm like come on I think it's based on like the level to which I think I can stand them more. <laughs> yeah. Is, is where I'm at. At the beginning of the Patronus lesson, I just want to read what the description of a Patronus is because I really enjoyed it in the book. Professor Lupin continued, the Patronus is kind of a positive force, a projection of the very things that the Dementor feeds upon. Hope, happiness, the desire to survive, but it cannot feel despair as real humans can so the Dementors can't hurt it. I like that description of it. I think a lot of times people boil it down to like, oh, it's the Dementor killing charm or whatever. or And, and it looks like an animal. Based on that alone, even if there weren't Dementors around, I imagine that I would use it often. It's also taking gratitude. I'm going to talk about mindfulness again. Buckle in. I've talked about divination and mindfulness already. So lucky all of you. I'm getting it all out of my system early. It's something that I think is beneficial because it reminds you of happy times. It reminds you of gratitude, which is a mindfulness technique. I never sat down and really thought about this definition of Patronus until just now. And I'm thinking about in the seventh book when Harry sees the dope Patronus in the Forest of Dean, you know, and he follows it and then it leaves. And there's something in the narration is like he wished it had still been there. He wanted its warmth. We don't see the Patronuses used, like you said, much outside of it being an adversary for the Dementor. I really am excited to just look at the Patronus being more than just, as you like to call it, the Dementor killing charm or whatever, you know. Because there is more to it. While Harry's trying to think of his happy memories, I've always kind of looked at this and thought, 
are those really strong enough? But then I also try to think of what would my happiest memory be? And I don't want to like get down to the terror level of sadness right now, but I'm gonna, cause I don't, <laughs> no offense. She's laughing right now on Zoom. It's okay. She understands. I don't know. I don't know what my happiest memory would be. I imagine it would be moments when I'm traveling. Typical Sagittarius answer. But I feel like those are some of the times where I feel the most free and most not bogged down by thoughts and things like that. I don't know. Do you have an answer for that? Like, what would your happiest memory It's be? funny because every time I read this chapter, anytime Harry's working on conjuring up his happy memories, I feel like the thing you should be doing at that moment is with Harry thinking along with him, like, this would be my happiest moment. And I've never done that because I'm so caught up in and I get to be sad now caught up in the fact that he doesn't have a happiest moment and when he is talking about what they are you're like wow he doesn't have this time that he went to Disney Disney. yeah like he doesn't have that (laughs) there's something wrong with this obviously but like his happiest moments are coming to school and making friends which as you're an adult and you think about those things those are my happiest moments too like having friends and people that I love and having stupid afternoons running around Cleveland looking for a murder mystery scavenger hunt or laughing on this podcast. Like that's really important to me now as an adult. But as a kid, I would be like, oh yeah, this time that I went to the amusement park with my friends or whatever. Harry's is just, wow, when he went to school, won some Quidditch matches, like he made friends. And I just think it's sad. I mean, at the same time, if you think about it, it's similar to what you were saying. Like, it's him being able to, like, make friends Mm -hmm. and have adventures. And his school experience is also very different than ours, too. So when I was 11 years old, I was taken off to wizarding school. Yeah, that would probably be a good moment for me, too. Especially if I was living with my abusive aunt, uncle, and cousin. You know, it's funny. I was talking about in the last episode about how recently emotions have been running very high during this time and i've been a little bit down or a little bit anxious or whatever i've been thinking a lot about our trip to new york for example a lot that trip i've been thinking about i went to las vegas last year and those memories do kind of give me some sort of hope or excitement the moment i'm able to like step back on a plane and go somewhere i'm going to be so happy after this like i want it so freaking oh god yeah. So yeah, I guess that would probably be my answer. And then my second question is, do you know what your Patronus is? I know Pottermore has the test. Obviously, I live by the Pottermore test as far as my house, because that is like mm-hmm. a thing where it asks you questions and all of that. So that's how I ended up in Gryffindor. But the rest of the tests were it's very random. I don't take them as seriously. That being said, my Patronus on Pottermore is a dolphin. I feel like I knew I was that. a little upset about because I was like, I don't really care about dolphins, but I don't. I, I really don't. I mean, because here's the thing. I feel like my Patronus would be some kind of big cat or a wolf or something. Like, I, I feel like those are just the animals that are super important to me or whatever. Definitely wouldn't be a goose. That's for fucking sure. Because geese. That's Stephanie's Patronus. <laughs> geese are the worst. Stephanie's our Canadian <laughs> friend, by the way. But going back to the dolphin, my mom's favorite animal is a dolphin. And I'm not super close to my mom at all. I love her. I love my mom. We can't talk about things. We just don't have anything in common other than she's my mom. I don't know. I feel like maybe that was... uh, Okay, I I guess it's cool that my Patronus is a dolphin. That would make sense. I kind of expected mine to be similar. And mine is a magpie. What the fuck is that? Is that a bird? Okay, okay. 
It is. And at first I was like, what the fuck? First of all, it's very specific. I like birds. Let me tell you. I like birds. I like birds. We've talked a lot about birds on this podcast and how it would be fun to get them so that my cats would go crazier than they already are. At first I was kind of like, what the hell is this? Like, it's a very specific bird too. It's not like, it's not like an owl. An owl would be a cool one. Cockatoo, I feel like has the energy of my kind of patrol. (laughs) As you know, my mom has a pet sitting business. Tara has one too. I feel like I'm obligated to say that right now, but my mom has a pet sitting business and she has a cockatoo client named Dexter. Yes. And he is a chaotic neutral. <laughs> Even if like you go on YouTube and just search for like crazy cockatoos, like there are some really fucking entertaining videos of these birds. They're insane. There's one picture I have that is sometimes my profile picture on stuff where I went with my mom on this visit and Dexter's sitting on my shoulder and looking right in the camera and I look nervous as fuck. <laughs> I love it. And Dexter has a Instagram page. I think it's Dexter the Cockatoo or something like that. After Dexter was like getting to know me and stuff, he would keep coming up to me and first falling into my lap like a cat and then jumping on my shoulder and biting my ear. And it hurt. (laughs) It fucking hurt. Okay. I feel like that would have been a more fitting bird for me. However, someone then told me that magpies symbolize good luck or something yeah because of that i was like okay maybe it's not so bad now i feel like i have to look that up to make sure that that's accurate magpie symbolism thank you google yeah the magpie is a good luck symbol that indicates joy love and lasting fortune it can also signify trickery and deception the magpie totem is a good luck symbol that indicates love joy and lasting fortune it can also signify trickery and deception the meaning of magpie can represent good and bad omen or duality and opposites which i think is kind of interesting i'm gonna tie taro into this beach here we go <laughs> he said taro not tara uh, not Tara. I'm going to tie Tara up and put her in my basement. Like I had her in before we had to go social distance and everything. I had to let her go free. <laughs> this reminds me of the Wheel of Fortune card. Good and luck and you get the good with the bad and everything. And also, like I talked about earlier, things are cyclical. Things get bad. Things get better. Everything isn't linear, you know? So I don't know. Now, because of that alone, maybe I'm thinking Magpie does make Maybe sense. Pottermore Anyways, knows more than we think it does. Back to the book, because we've spent a lot of time talking about animals. So this Patronus scene. <laughs> I just overall really appreciate this. This isn't just about teaching Harry how to do this charm. This might singularly be the best lesson Harry is given by a professor in the whole series. I agree with you, because... <laughs> I was going to save this till the movie, but I like Lupin's approach, man. He eases into it with Harry. Like, he is very progressional. He's very patient. This is definitely a movie thing, but I also like how Lupin says, and he did in the Bogger scene too, he says, wand at the ready. I don't know. It seems like a very nice coaching (laughs) technique. There's something else to be said about the scene in terms of other themes. My other favorite. I got everything out of my system already. (laughs) And that is the like kind of failure and fear kind of stuff that we've been talking about. The thing that is so prevalent here is persistence. It's Harry, but I think it's also Lupin supporting him. And there's something to be said about the strength that he has here, that he keeps getting knocked down and knocked down in a terrible way. That the second time that he cast the Patronus and 
fails essentially and he hears his father he gets back up and he still wants to continue doing it and lupin is very patient with him and trying to figure out what his limit is but harry keeps wanting to go kind of going along with that when harry mentions the thing about hearing james and james's response in kind of like tentatively saying like you heard james and then harry's like did you know my father and he's like yes i did i like this i know that you talked a little bit about the bridge scene and there are some things i really enjoy about the bridge scene too in the movie this seems so much more organic this is way more organic i mean and the bridge scene they added so much like you're not surprised at all to find out later that oh they were all friends this is almost lupin forgetting himself i think that lupin has approached this in a very professional way like a mentorship and understanding that it's probably not a good idea to be like also your dad was one of my best friends this one moment is him forgetting that or losing himself just to be like oh you heard your father like that's disturbing for lupin too i think so too I completely agree with everything you said. While he's been professional, he hasn't not been personable. He balances out really nice. Talking about balance and the lack of balance with other characters in this freaking book so far. And the shortcomings we've seen. Lupin is someone that I still am like, fuck yes. Every way that he's approached this is so, so wonderful. At the end of the lesson, I think it ends up showing so much about both Lupin and Harry too. And, And how strong and good both of them are harry has this little moment where he's like and throughout the lesson he's like did i not want to hear their voices or do i want to hear their voices because it's you know him wanting to somehow connect to his parents but he has this little deep breath moment where he's like they're dead hearing their voices is not going to bring them back it's only going to hurt you and he kind of like says it and moves on that's another moment where i'm like this is a 13 year old and this 13 year old is like solid as fuck well and it's (laughs) it's so it's to just expand a little bit on what i was saying about lupin kind of losing himself after hearing harry say i heard my father or whatever lupin kind of backtracks and i think that that is almost lupin being like oh shit this is my friend's child i really shouldn't put him through this like he does kind of backtrack and i don't think it's because harry isn't doing a good job i think he's like Sirius turned out to be not good and peter's dead and i'm the only one and i have to continue to protect him but harry is so determined like you kept saying harry's like no no no, i'm gonna do this and he's like okay and by the end of this lesson harry is obviously and rightfully so drained but lupin is also pretty wrecked That is really interesting about his inner monologue. I like that. That's a great reading. I almost wish after this that we would see more classroom time. It doesn't make sense. And I mean, some of the times that we do see classroom time, like divination, care of magical potions, are to further on the story. But it would be interesting to see more of what happens in Transfiguration. Yeah. What happens in charms? What happens in herbology? I think that would be nice to see, to see the strengths of the other teachers, because I imagine that the other teachers are also showing really good methods. Oh, God, yes. We tend to see some of the times when they don't have very good methods. So I think that also makes this even more refreshing. Oh, yeah. And then they talk about Sirius and... I'm really connecting so much to Sirius and Lupin because they're our age. 
And I feel like this is how I would be when he's like, so you must have known Sirius Black. And he's like, why would you say that? I would feel pressure, I guess, in that moment to just get away from the situation. While we are kind of their ages in this moment, I haven't actually made that connection. But I think maybe now I kind of want to read it more that way. I'm the same age as Lupin in this moment. Yeah. So like, what am I thinking about? You know that I tend to kind of disregard age a lot. And sometimes I notice age differences, I think, Mm -hmm. makes me appreciate even more Lupin's approach here and his and Harry's strength throughout this entire scene. It's just awesome. We do have to talk about how Lupin tells him about the Dementors kiss. They do have butterbeer, so they have a nice alcoholic beverage. And then Harry's like, yeah, I like this. And he's like, what? You've never had this. He's like, oh, shit. Have to lie. (laughs) Teenager shit. I mean, I thought I would love this. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah, that's really cute. It almost makes me wonder, too, if, like, Lupin is, like, onto it. Like, "Mm, I know this kid is, like, smarter than he puts on. Probably was like, you know what? Whatever. He's James Potter's son. That's true. But the conversation where Harry's like, Sirius Black deserves the Dementors kiss. And Lupin is like, do you think anyone deserves that? Again, I just keep thinking about, like, this old friendship and the position Lupin is in. Being confronted with this idea of his friend being a murderer it's kind of cool to look at lupin's perspective in comparison to harry's there is that push and pull between well i remember what sirius was and then what he turned out to be yeah i think lupin is someone who is very forgiving as well i imagine he is dealing with that a little bit more and harry hasn't gotten to that point. right harry's still at like this motherfucker is the reason why my parents are dead. Well, and he has no reason to think otherwise. And he doesn't know the relationship, obviously, between Sirius and Lupin, although he does kind of catch on to it briefly. Like, oh, well, if you knew my father, then you you must have known Sirius. And we already touched on that briefly. But I don't think it's clear yet that they're besties. It could have been like a Harry Seamus situation. Right. Of course, this will unfold quickly in the next few chapters. And that's important because the reason why Harry is kind of going down the stairs and almost bumps into McGonagall is because he's still thinking about the Dementor's kiss and the horror behind that. Harry is kind of trapped in thought and he's going down the stairs and he kind of bumps into McGonagall. Yes. She's kind of like, you should watch where you're going, Potter. Oh, by the way, here's your broom bag. Right. And there was a little moment in there too at some point where- Oliver comes um, in and is like, oh, I asked her and she was like, nah, bitch. She got kind of like, priorities aren't in order. After every single disfiguration class, they go up and ask and she's like, Stop fucking bugging me. I'll tell you when it, which I have done in my professional career. Like as somebody who buys media and constantly getting bothered by people who are like, are you ready to buy now? Are you ready to buy now? No, I will let you know when I'm ready to buy. If I'm ever ready to buy from your pestering ass. I get it all the time. But um, then when he gets his broom back, everyone wants to touch it. Everyone wants to touch his broom, baby. I also am like, You know, McGut is trying to do her part to protect Harry, but she was like, you know what? We got to expedite this shit. This kid keeps bugging me. I want Griffin to win. Let's make this happen. So I was like really, really amazed by McGut. I mean, I shouldn't be because we know she's Quentin, but it's a cool moment. She comes through for him. So as they're passing around the broom, Hermione's still in the corner doing all her homework. Good on Harry for wanting to apologize, of course. And I mean, I still think that it was more Ron. Harry, of course, probably was a little bit a part of it too. And so (laughs) Harry wanting to like kind of step forward 
Edward gives his broom to Ron. Ron takes it up. Hermione's working on a Muggle Studies essay that is explaining why Muggles need electricity. And I don't know if it needs two rolls of parchment or anything, but all she could write is the internet. Right. And she would probably get an A+. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Well, the wizards don't know what internet is. We already talked about Hogwarts having wizard fire. Right. But they make so up. They do. I feel like Hermione's still being a little bit distant. And, like, she's distracted slash focused. She's distracted from Harry because she's focused on her homework. And then this is where we get the dramatic culmination of the chapter where Ron gets his period. Yes. Oh, wait. We have to remember that Neville lost his passwords. Oh, yeah, of course. We have to remember Neville. <laughs> that's right. Neville exists in this uh, chapter. It's that's my guy. Well, we do. It's good to note that because it will be important, yes. but it is a, a tiny little detail there. And regarding this little experience of Ron finding blood and whiskers and stuff, of course, that will pick up in the next episode. Yeah. But, I mean, we all kind of knew that that was going to happen. Out of everything that this book is foreshadowing, I think that something like this is what we've been waiting for. Of course, things are not what they seem we've already touched on the rat not being a rat but being a big human penis fuck Mary kill the way that you said okay sounded like you i were was ready. You were i was ready. ready let's do this this chapter is all about person per no <laughs> this chapter is all about patronuses i was got personuses personuses got, my work days are long right now i was thinking personuses because you advertise based on a persona. No, Patronus. I actually looked up a list of all the known Patronuses and it came down to the Patronuses of the trio, of course. So, fuck, Mary kill between Dear Patronus, Otter Patronus, and Jack Russell Terrier Patronus. This is bullshit. This is going to be a hard one. I'm going to be loyal to my favorite Hufflepuff, Steve, and his hatred of deer. So I'm going to kill the Dear Patronus. <laughs> He hates deers? Yeah, well, he's... Why? Because they're always running in front of his car. What? I mean, there are probably four deer in the backyard here right now, stalking us, waiting for Steve to come over. So, Oh, oh my deer. God. Steve actually texted me to be like, come on, Animal Crossing. I got a meteor shower. I'm like, bitch, I got a meteor shower earlier this week. And I'm recording a podcast. I'll come visit you Oh, soon. I hope you do. He'll like that. Can I tell you really quick? I know we're in the middle of a fucking <laughs> but... You can edit. Oh, I'm leaving all of this in. <laughs> Because I want motherfuckers to be like, what's your switch code? I want to come visit Hogsmeade. That's right. The name of my island is Hogsmeade, bitches. In my clothing shop, I got custom Cursed Child hats by house. I created little sweaters and ties by house. I got a Quidditch pitch. My house is Hogwarts. I got a maze from the third task of the Triwizard Tournament. My motherfucking island is Hogsmeade. Come on, hit me up. Bring me gifts. I'm looking for ironwood furniture. Thank you. I'm gonna marry. You just wait. When this is over, you're coming over to my house, and we are going to go visit Hogsmeade. You're I gonna can't wait. I can't wait, bitch. It's. Beautiful. I believe you. I'm gonna fuck Ron's Patronus because it's a Jack Russell Terrier. I'm gonna marry. Oh, because it's a dog. Tara's like, I need to fuck the dog, <laughs> of course. That's it. Your turn. I am going to fuck the Otter Patronus. I don't know why. I feel like, you know, there are gay men stereotypes named otters. So it seems like something fuckable. I don't fuck, but you know what I mean. 
I can't kill the Dear Patronus. I feel like I have to marry it. Again, that's the thing that seems stable. I'm going to kill the Jack Russell Patronus because Ron pissed me off this episode. All right. That's, that's, that was a really rough one. That. Please don't do that to me again. It was. I'm telling you, I got to mix it up. Sometimes they're going to be easy. Sometimes they're going to be hard. Sometimes you're going to want to kill everybody. Sometimes you're going to want to fuck everybody. I can't help it. I mean, I can, but I'm trying to make this interesting. All right. We can't always be fucking painting some fucking ghosts and shit. <laughs> so the movie really only focuses on the Patronus yes. part and it's very condensed. They <laughs> don't obviously have the, hey, I knew your father moment because they already had it earlier. They don't really talk about the Dementor's kiss, but if they're going to really take this chapter and smush it all together... I think they do quite a good job. I think it looks great. I think that the stuff that they focus on is really good. I think that the acting is really good in the scene. I obviously would have liked a little more. I would have liked it to be basically a mirror of the chapter, but I can never get what the fuck I want. So I'm not sure why I bother saying that. Okay, well, that sounds like a problem <laughs> that you talk to a therapist about. <laughs> no, just the person who wrote this fucking screenplay. It is interesting that they're in Dumbledore's office. Are they? They're in Dumbledore's Yeah, but they are. That's right. And in the book, they are in Binz's office. Yes. In his classroom. Yeah. I just wanted to show off Dumbledore's Uh, office because it looks cool. I guess so. And like those spine candles. When we were watching it and Harry is like talking and he goes up and starts playing with the candles. I was like, Tara is going to fucking mention this. I thought for (laughs) sure. We're going to be like, why the fuck in the middle of the lesson are you going up and playing with fire? (laughs) Because he's a teenage boy. (laughs) I already touched on this already. Like the one at the ready thing. Yeah. The way that Lupin kind of is like, close your eyes, thinking about your happiest memories. The way he even <clears throat> opens up the chest, he uses it without a wand. I mean, it might be a special chest, but we're seeing a lot of non-wand magic under this new director. <laughs> I like the entire approach of it. I agree with you. It would have been cool to see the full chapter. We didn't get any mention of Firebolt yet. So. Yeah. No, I just meant that scene. I would have loved it to just be like word for word right out of the book that being said i I really do think that it's well done it's also one of the more like iconic scenes from the movie in a way that one we don't usually see it as a meme somewhere but it really kind of encompasses what you expect from the movie i don't know i really like it i think so too it is it slows down well and that's really important because the movie like is about to literally like just take off running and not stopping you know, no one really gives a shit about the rest of the chapter. It's fine. We don't care about that. Don't put it That's in the movie. Okay. We're about to hit the gas. And it's not going to stop. Speed right through thing. Plus 20 to Harry and Lupin for that scene. It's really great. I already talked about how it shows off a lot about both of them. It shows a lot about persistence and good teaching methods. Plus 15 for McGuff for like expediting that broom dehexing. Yes, Beach, you go. And plus 10 for Oliver for his continual good leadership, big brother kind of mentality with Harry. Even though he didn't get through the McGonagall, I really liked that. Negative five to Trelawney. What? Because, bitch, you need to brush up on your palmistry. You are teaching incorrect information. Negative 15 from Ron, because I think he is being very selfish. He is talking for Harry, I think, a little bit too much. He's a little bit too pissed about this broom that does not belong to him. He's being a dick. 
and I know I only took five away from Hermione in the last chapter, so it's not exactly even, but negative 15 from Ron, because I think he rubbed me a little bit the wrong way in this chapter. But those are my points. Yes. That's right. And we are halfway through this book. That is right. Last time we got to our 50th episode. Now we're halfway through this book. We're on our way to 100 episodes, Beach. Next time, we're going to read a chapter. Chapter 13, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. Gryffindor versus Slytherin. No, not Slytherin. Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. (laughs) Finally, Gryffindor is going up against some other house that isn't us. God damn it. Yeah, but since Harry's gotten to Hogwarts, the only house he's lost to is Hufflepuff, so... You're not a Quidditch player on the Gryffindor team. How do you know? Because I know you. I would like to see Radabroom. Excuse me? I would be a keeper. Yeah, I know you would be a keeper, and I would beat your ass. Are you a beater? (laughs) Yes, we've had this conversation. (laughs) Oh my god, we're done. (laughs) Yeah, we are. It is 15 minutes past when I set this Zoom meeting for, but that's okay. We did good. We will see you all next Next time time. during that next chapter that we are going to wash your goddamn hands. Please. And buy your Costco. um, What what did I say this was? I don't know. Hand sanitizer? No. Coffee? No, it's it's the sangria from Costco. Buy it. It's delicious. Yeah. Buy a sangria from Costco. Contact me for your wink link and contact us to ask us to sponsor your product. Yeah. Happy to talk about your shit. Pay us, assholes. (laughs) That's probably not the best way to get sponsorships. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, please take our money, you fucking dicks. Bye. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, later, snitches. snitches!